0: So to answer your question, you know, in a virtual world, we've only got a really small window to get things right. So um, that's a, a real challenge now. This is the Leadership 480 Podcast.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Leadership 480 Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Alms. And today, our topic is about how to have tough conversations with employees My guest is Nathan Calland, who is a leadership consultant in DDI's London office. Nathan has more than a decade of experience coaching leaders and helping them build the skills that will get them through those really tough leadership moments. Nathan, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hey, Beth. Thanks very much. Good to be here.
1: So tell me a little bit about why conversations are so important for leaders.
0: Yeah, thanks, Beth. I think... um, I think before a lot of people come into their first leadership role, I think many of them have a lot of misconceptions about uh, what leadership actually means day by day Mm -hmm. and how they imagine uh, what being successful as a leader looks like. Um, I think looking back to when I was younger, I used to have this picture in my mind of kind of a group of peers standing around me kind of Congratulating me on making a great decision and me kind kind of smiling with my hand on my chin. <laughs> you know, that is kind of um, you know my idea of of good leadership. and mm-hmm. and now, good decisions decisions are certainly um, a key part of a people leaders' role, but uh, it's only really a piece of it. And uh, what I know now, like you know for working with people over the years is that people leadership really is a series of interactions. So, for example, when you're coaching a team member on a new tool, Maybe you've got to influence someone in a senior leadership uh, role to change a policy that affects your team. You know, moving the needle on most of your key outcomes is going to uh, require high-quality interaction. So even thinking about the decision-making piece, um, you're most likely going to have to canvas your peers um, and your manager for their opinions, right?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And so here's a a great way to reinforce this point. So I really like uh, maybe yourself and our listeners as well to think back over the careers to a moment when someone who led you really made an impact on you, so perhaps um, they inspired you to do something great. For instance, so think how did that happen? Was it a conversation, or was it um, in an email, or, or something you read on a website? Mm-hmm. So if you could hold that thought, um, and I'll share my example when uh, when we're finished talking.
1: You know. It's funny, Nathan, when you bring that up, because I think it's both, you know, as I think back, it's been both for the positive and the negative. Um, so when you say those conversations, I, I can also think back to some of the negative conversations that, you know, it was a two minute interaction or maybe even less. And it's so frustrating. It could like kind of derail you for the rest of the day of, of things you're like, Oh, I should have handled that differently. Um, and I, you know, at the time I would have had a lot of those, it would have been with my, my own boss. And, um, yeah, so I think it's just, it's one that really resonates with me on both sides, both the positive where I've been encouraged, but also the the negative where you get, you get really thrown off track.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It's a really good point. Like, you know, you want to get these right. And that's a sign of, you know, the outcomes of a, of an interaction that didn't go so well. So yeah, maybe, maybe we can get people to think of some of the as well, have one of each.
1: Yeah, don't, don't hold that one with you too much on those. But um, but I think what, you know, stuck with me with some of those negative ones is, is how much time it wasted. I, I had too much energy, you know, if you had a negative interaction, it was really, it wasted my time um, thinking about that instead of going forward and what I needed to be focusing on instead. Um, and I've I heard you talk sometimes in the past about conversations being the ninth form of waste in a lean organization. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what you mean by that and why it matters?
0: Sure, Beth. Um, this is something I've become quite passionate about because we work um, not just EDI, but me, me specifically, just by by uh, by default, really. I've ended up working with a lot of high tech and industrial organizations over the years. So, um become really involved with this concept. So probably to talk about lean manufacturing, just so our listeners have an idea of what we're talking about. Lean manufacturing or lean production is something, it's a production method that originated in um, in Toyota's operating operating model in, back in the 1930s. They called it the Toyota way. Mm-hmm. And then somebody, um, I can't remember who it was, repackaged it uh, as the concept lean in the late 80s, I think, and um, it went on to be successfully successfully implemented in uh, production environments all over over the world. So, really, uh, really a global concept. And a key part of um, lean is focusing on minimising waste in your process to improve efficiency. And there's, um, as I say, there's, as you mentioned, there's eight principles that we that um, cover things like defects, overproduction, um, things like inventory, sitting idle. Extra processing. So, when you're thinking about supervisory conversations in a production environment, um, they could certainly be added to this list. Say as as number nine as a recognised form of waste. Now, this sounds a bit counterintuitive initially until you think about it. So, you know, after a, think about a supervisor briefing their team on a new process, the expected outcome is that they'll go back to their roles and implement this process efficiently, right? Mm-hmm. But but what if not everyone involved in that conversation had clarity on the key points that were being discussed? Or what if they didn't feel comfortable enough to raise a question that would help them understand what this means for their particular contribution? So the consequences for that kind of ineffective interaction are, are real. You know, we're talking about possibly hundreds of hours of lost efficiency there. Mm-hmm. And also, if you think more longer term, Uh, investing time and building the capability of the team is also a way to reduce waste. So, you know, as that production supervisor, if I'm able to coach my team members to successfully execute tasks that, you know, I typically, I've needed to delegate, it's it's a win-win. So their capability increases over time and hopefully this means they're getting more out of their role and then I'm not trying to accomplish everything myself. Uh, But once again, if those coaching conversations are ineffective, then over time, my team isn't going to expand that capability, and so the effective effect, level of effectiveness stays the same. And I'm going to have a, a lot more to do myself. So uh, overall efficiency is definitely going to be impacted. So I hope you can see that it really is um, something that isn't often measured, but hundreds, mm-hmm. hundreds, possibly thousands of hours every year.
1: Yeah, just from a bad conversation if things weren't clear. But what about those leaders who might be reluctant to have these tough conversations, either because it's faster to just solve the problem themselves or because they're simply uncomfortable with it? How do they how do you help them have those really hard conversations when they're they might naturally try to avoid it?
0: That's a, a really good question, Beth. And, uh, in my experience, this is where so many first time leaders particularly struggle with this when coming in, into that first people leadership role. so that that transition to getting things done through others is a mindset shift and not what holds new leaders back uh, is a lack of confidence or that anxiety around uh, the actual actually having the conversation. So they might be thinking not only what am I going to say, but more importantly, how do I say it?" So there can be a real anxiety here that holds holds leaders back from initiating these conversations, which can sometimes be really difficult. You can imagine, like providing feedback on a team member's performance issue, it's really difficult. Um, to uh, explain this a little bit better, I'll, I'll tell a quick story because who doesn't love a story? Roughly about five years ago, I spent some time on site with one of DDI's key partners. And the main reason was I wanted to get to know the organization to meet some of the leaders that um, DDI was developing. And one of the guys I spoke to had actually recently been promoted to his first team leadership role. And he'd also just attended one of our programs. And he confided in me that um, he was aware that he'd probably been promoted for his technical ability more so than his people skills, um, which is very common in especially in a technical organization. We see this a lot. And he also shared that he had several complex people issues to deal with um, straight away, like as soon as he came into role. Some of these were inside his new team, and some of them were uh, scattered across the business, so not just in his immediate team either. Now, he viewed these as real challenges, um, but he said that he thought that what he'd learned um, in the program actually was going to help him, so some of the the stuff that DDI taught him. Now, quite a bit of time elapsed. I think it was about maybe a year or maybe more later when um, when I actually caught up with the same guy, and it was super inspiring to see uh, the change, uh, the change in him, and how he felt about himself. Because what he'd done is he'd begun planning his discussions, uh, particularly difficult ones, um, in advance. So by doing this, he was able to ensure that he was um, meeting that person's those personal and practical needs that we talked about. So not only would he be able to do that, he'd also have clarity on the key points he wanted to make uh, during the conversation. And this allowed him to, um, having done this, make ample time for uh, the the good stuff like the act of listening. So over time, he was following this process and he became more and more confident. And now he uh, then he confided that that these days he um he addresses any issues that come up in his team like straight away. There's no avoidance because of the anxiety. And he said he actually really enjoys his interactions now. Um, And he just seems really empowered, which is great. So that worked for him. Um, And he also shared that day-to-day now, he interacts with his team uh, a lot more, like more or less all the time. Um, And I think previously quite a bit of this was done electronically, you know, messaging or over email. And he said that this had opened up a kind of informal feedback channel and it really made the team atmosphere or, you know, the – how the team interacted, a lot more open and enjoyable for everybody. Um, but most importantly, his anxiety had gone. He was actually looking forward to, uh, to having those uh, effective conversations, even the difficult ones. It was, it was fantastic to see.
1: That's really an inspiring story of really changing from, you know, that dread and anxiety over these conversations to it really being a positive experience, both for the leader and uh, the person that they are coaching and having these tough conversations with. Um, as you mentioned, though, you know, as, as we're doing this in the, we're moving now to the virtual work world and where a lot of these conversations used to take place just impromptu or there was a moment say, hey, can I grab you for a sec? That's a lot harder to do. How do you feel like conversations have changed in the virtual workplace?
0: Uh, yeah, well, that's something that we're all coming to terms with right now, uh, Beth, that's, that's a really good point. Um, it's a <laughs> pretty much a global mega trend, isn't it? Um, and I don't know. I think one thing that I know I've noticed and a lot of people I've spoken to about this noticed is that in this 100% kind of virtual context, you've only really got a, a set window to get your conversations right. Um, So you mentioned before, like um, some of the the face-to-face stuff that would happen during the day, all of these things that we could do before or um, after a meeting to help make it successful, all of this is going to happen inside the 30, maybe 45 or 60-minute window. You know, so, uh, for example, we've talked about how you've got to invest some time in meeting someone's personal needs before you can really dive into the practical meeting focus, like all of the, the things that you want to accomplish. And uh, and I think we all know how it feels when somebody does that, right? Like, you know, just starts a meeting and and it's right onto the first agenda item without really um, checking in with everybody to see how they are psychologically. You know, there's no these days there's no there's no walk down the corridor. You can't have a chat um, or you can't speak to someone earlier in the day to do this. You know, to warm up and and find out how they are. So. So not only are we coming in cold, so to speak, um, we've also really got to make sure that everybody involved feels heard um, and they have the clarity they need um, that when they leave the meeting, uh, feeling satisfied and focused. And there's a real impact to getting this wrong. And I'm going to, um, I'm going to share another, another story, actually, because I was speaking to a, a senior leader at another organisation that we work with um, not so long ago. And they shared that they'd been involved in um, an internal meeting that really didn't go very well. So there'd been some healthy, I think we call it challenging during the meeting, which um, which ended without everybody. Because of that challenging process, uh, got quite quite heated and and they weren't able as a group to reach a consensus and, and move forward. So um, this really affected um, the leader in question. And it put them in quite a difficult both heart and a headspace um, afterwards and took them – quite a while um to refocus so the point is that there's no uh water cooler conversations to catch up and and maybe smooth things over um so there isn't that opportunity to do that and this is something that a guy we've um, started working with the ddi uh some time ago dr steve Reigelberg. beth you may have heard of him
1: yeah absolutely he's he's been around a lot talking about meetings i've i have not been on a lot of the like talk shows things like that i've definitely heard of his of his of him with the meetings
0: yeah 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 that's yeah he's he's a real expert in the science it's kind of a data-driven approach he uses the science of having great meetings So he breaks it down and he's got this um he calls that that emotion that people have or the effect of a bad meeting afterwards I love this term meeting recovery syndrome Uh, (laughs) I I really love that term because it's given yeah uh, even all of us a way to articulate what that that feeling is and we all know it I think Mm -hmm. it's a psychological impact of having a a poor interaction and that that effect or that feeling with with um that stays with us maybe for, for a few hours maybe a whole day um and I, I'm sure that feels familiar to everyone. So so to answer your question, you know, in a virtual world, we've only got a really small window to get things right. So um, that's a, a real challenge now.
1: Yeah, I think your point there too around um, maybe there's some opportunities there for, for inclusion too, where you, you mentioned everybody needing to feel heard. And that's hard. It's really to, easy to kind of overlook people in a big virtual meeting. It's a little harder when they're sitting there, Face to face in the room, I think there's probably some aspects of inclusion there where you can maybe go a little bit more out of your way to make sure you hear people.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ab- absolutely, yeah. It's about how you um, how you're drawing people in, making people feel included by involving them, um, and it could be could be back to that that personal needs thing around uh, you know uh, making. Checking in with someone, seeing how their self-esteem is um, and people maybe who aren't confident, who aren't normally uh, included in a conversation, that that little pep to their self-esteem and, and a question to invite them in can can really um, make someone feel much more invited and, and encourage them to participate in a conversation. So there's definitely lots of work that can be done around that for inclusion.
1: Yeah, I keep going back to that idea that you mentioned earlier around waste and how, you know, if you don't have everybody on board, with the concept after the meeting, if they're not really bought in, kind of head and heart with it, like it's just so much. It's much slower going. It's harder to win. It's harder to move forward. Um, that's just that. I think that's really an image that that has stuck with me from our conversation here about how much waste there is when you haven't done these conversations right.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say there's there's another um, aspect of virtual conversations that, that I think's worth um, worth mentioning is that i think we've all uh you know read a lot of articles during the pandemic or through the crisis about <laughs> what worked and what didn't I think, mm-hmm. I think just about every most of them anyway or article or analysis talks about empathetic leadership right you know it comes mm-hmm. out as one of the key success fa- factors for um, leaders in a crisis you know um you know can i can i empathize with my team can i be authentic um you know in sharing sharing what they're going through you know in the last few months we know that teams have Super stressed, you know, um, yeah. overworked, and and facing probably the the largest amount of ambiguity they've ever encountered. So, and it seems to be um, leaders who managed to empathise with their team's emotions. And when I say empathise, like I guess my description I normally use is not feeling sorry for, uh, but mm-hmm. feeling sorry with, mm-hmm. um, if that makes sense. Um, so teams are able to do that, We're well, able to help their teams work through these emotions more and stay focused because. You know, a problem problem shared as a or a feeling shared is a feeling halved. Um, so leaders who were able to do this were able to do the best job. So I was actually speaking to our VP of assessment, Matt Pace, about about this very topic about interaction challenges in the virtual world. And um, Matt's got a, always got a great turn of phrase. He said to me, Nathan, empathy takes a lot more finesse to demonstrate in a virtual world. And uh, and you know, I couldn't put it any better. Um, you know, if you're thinking about looking through that little window in a you know in a virtual meeting so your words and your and your tone are really the the two key ways that you can transmit that you're feeling your um teams you know whether it's frustration sadness um or joy it could be positive emotion too Mm because you know we're on a roller coaster during that crisis so what i need to do as a leader is i need to become more intentional and kind of verbal with my expression so perhaps in the past you know when i could just sort of Maybe maybe lean in physically and say, oh, you know, oh dear, you know, Jane, that must be really tough for you. It's probably I need to say something more like, uh, you know, Jane, that challenge you've shared around getting digital content ready at such short notice must have been really frustrating. You know, I can kind of imagine the experience of the pressure not from, just from the client but dealing with our own tech team. Mm-hmm. That must have really taken up a lot of your time and energy. So that that's a pretty straightforward example, but basically, I've just got to work a lot harder on on demonstrating the empathy uh, in a virtual world.
1: I really concept, um, you know, defining you know the empathy versus sympathy. Mm. I will say that um, you know right now the hardest thing about this that you know has 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 not really been around um, in recent years is is everyone going through such a tough time all at the same time. Normally in the past, it was, you know, you had one person on your team who had some, you know, who might have a specific family situation or one person who had um, something that was going on that was particularly stressful in their lives. And now it's everybody in the world all at the same time is having, is really having a hard time. And I think um, your point around that, that team empathy of, you know, Feeling sorry with of, of we're all going through this together. I, there's no time to be you know sorry for anyone, but going through that together is is such a powerful one. in this particular
0: time, yep, yep, uh, you're exactly right. And and I think there's a there's a kind of theme building. And um, I should probably want to carry on in this topic. Another example of of the kind of virtual uh, the challenges you're facing in a, in a virtual world is um is how do, we, how do I go about building trust with people that I've never met before in a physical world? And uh, we've been talking a lot about this lately, uh, once again, internally and with with um, people we work with, is this challenge is particularly real for people who've never, you know what I mean, have just come to, to an organisation, they haven't got a network, they're brand new. So, um, you know, we rely so much on body language. And the ability to be able to observe people day to day, to really find out more about them and, and slowly build trust and, and find out who they are. But in the virtual world, uh, we haven't got these opportunities. So we've really got to be hyper intentional with our approach. Um, so, for instance, so like if I want you to trust me, you've got to feel that I, uh, I care about and really understand your world. And if I'm starting from scratch, this means I um, I have to become really good at asking open questions and actively listening to the answers. So maybe like what your role challenges are, how are you feeling about your part of the business? Do you mm. like pineapple on your pizza? I don't know many people <laughs> who do, but um, so maybe how many how many kids you have. So in the virtual world, this stuff isn't going to just uh, fall into our laps like it could do in the past. So what we really need to do is work much harder to understand it. Well, you know, ultimately, I think this is a really good thing. We should all be having uh, more of these curious conversations. So if that proves to be one of the, one of the uh, positive crisis trends, then I think we'll all be doing uh, much better in our roles.
1: Yeah, I think so, and I think the important thing here is that no one should be ashamed to share that they like pineapple on their pizza. Um, I, I do. I think it's totally legitimate. So, if there are listeners out there who do like pineapple on their pizza, they should know they're not alone. They shouldn't be afraid to tell their boss about this and connect on that personal level. Um,
0: yeah, I think that's but, important. And if you ask an open question, you should be prepared to 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 receive the answer. And although I do, I do, I still think you're in a minority, Beth.
1: <laughs> I might be in a minority, but I just think that there should be support for people out there who do um, appreciate the pineapple. But, you know, I think your point overall of really making sure that we're taking the time to connect and, and people feel heard, especially as we switch to virtual meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people don't speak up in meetings. I I am envious to think if there is anyone out there who can't relate to that meeting recovery syndrome because it is so prominent that you have a bad meeting and it just sticks with you really challenging and you feel like you weren't heard and everybody went on and with in a direction that you don't agree with Um, or you know maybe your ideas were completely overlooked about how to solve this problem Mm -hmm. Um, leaders can do a really can go a long way to kind of check in with people afterwards especially if the meeting is contentious and say hey you know how did you think that went was there anything that didn't come out um, you know, that you wanted to share or that we might think about moving forward. I think that's, a, that's really important. Um, as, as we switch to this virtual world and having those tough conversations. Mm-hmm. So for a final question that we ask everyone on the show, um, what was a moment of leadership that had an impact on you and your life?
0: Ah, thanks Beth. I remember this ties back to something that we said earlier and like, and I wanted people to think about an interaction that um, really impacted them. So it's a great that you're asking this question. Now, I'm going to go back to uh, my early teenage years actually to uh, an interaction I had with a, with a teacher um, at the time, an English teacher. Um, his name was Mr. Mike O'Brien and he he was, I look back, he was super cool. He had a, had a ponytail, he's pretty progressive, um, rode a really cool bike and so you know, I think I already liked him, but but uh, the setting was that um, we had a book assignment that we had to um, to a book we had to read and we had to prepare a a review and a, like quite a long essay around what we thought of the book and answer some key questions. And I think it was probably you know five or six weeks into the <laughs> to the timeline of this work. And I'll confess that I probably wasn't the most uh, dedicated student when I was around thirteen or fourteen. So. Here I was up in the, up in the library in a, in a study cubicle, pretty much hiding away from, um, from, from this work. And, um, yeah, Mr. O'Brien came and knocked on the cubicle and said, you know, like, hey, Nathan, how are you doing? Because I was actually new to the school and um, he was just checking in on me. But and he said, how are you doing with the book assignment? And I kind of ummed and ahed and, and I kind of made a, a few pretty poor excuses. And, and he said to me, Nathan, have you read the book? Once again, I kind of said I read a couple of pages, but but not really, and sort of made my excuses. And he he sort of sat down and he looked me in the eyes and he said, "Nathan, please just read the book. Like I'm I'm not worried if you know the assignments. It's great, but um, but I'm not, I don't even care if you don't turn anything in. I really want you just to read the book. It's a great book. The book, incidentally, was um, A Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich by uh, an author called um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. So so he actually, by engaging me with me in that really authentic and kind of honest way, and and sort of pointing out what the goal actually was, you know, he just wanted me to 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 read the book. You know, that was that was the aim of the exercise. So he was I found it really disarming, and uh, and he motivated me, and and I did read that book, and um and I and I really enjoyed it, and it's to this day it's one of my favourite books, and it probably led me on a path to to, to some really other fantastic literature. So. So, you know I'd like to thank Mr. Mr. O'Brien, Mike, if you're out there anywhere. Thanks very much. You inspired me to read a lot of great books. so so that's the one I wanted to share.
1: That's such a great leadership story of you know how he he kind of addressed the uncomfortable as we're talking about tough conversations, he addressed mm-hmm. what was uncomfortable. You hadn't read the book, but helped you to see this is what the point of this is and I think you know even at work for so many of us that's the that's the bottom line is that this isn't just another task another thing what's the what is it we're trying to really do here and getting to that is such a powerful leadership skill of saying I don't need you on board to create these tasks whatever you're working on whatever you're doing here's the impact and what's going to be important about it Um, it's a great way to engage. Uh, So thank you for joining us today, Nathan, and Mm, thank you to all of our listeners who spent part of their 480 with us today. Remember that um, don't let anyone tell you what you're allowed to have on your pizza. It is up to you. That is the message of empowerment we are taking away with us today. Um, And of course, uh, we'll sign off. I'm Beth Alms, reminding you to make every moment of leadership count.